Nice. Soul on ice. I'ma put my soul on ice. Nice. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night, whenever or wherever you are listening. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Kwame, a.k.a. Funky Fresh in the Flesh, and Double Trouble is always in the house. Akil Thomas and Elijah Roberts, a.k.a. Business is about to pick up. What's happening, nephews? How much? What are you saying, Kwamster? Hey, I'm just here, baby. What's up, Kwamstorus Rex? Where did you get that? Like, when did that one, because you're, you're using it a lot. It just came to my mind. It's going to stick. I kind of like sound. it. Kind of like it. Is it a reference mm. because I'm like the old guy of the group? Obviously, yeah. T Rex, right? <laughs> T Rex is the baddest, though. So I'll take it. I'll take that. Um, boys, the big news is out. Okay, we got the call up. We are rocking with the big boys. Uh, we are now a part of the NHL family podcast. So I want to give a big shout out to everybody at the NHL and everybody who has been uh, supporting us on social media. So we just want to remind everybody to please subscribe, rate, review, give us some likes on IG, Twitter, Facebook. We need your support. That's how we're going to grow this movement. So um, what do you guys think about the fact that we are now a part of the NHL family of podcasts? Big man means a lot. You know, right from the start, we, we came in and we just maybe wanted to do this for fun and we started stepping it up. And I think being a part of the NHL family, it's, pretty big and uh just going forward we're going to keep taking it up to the next level yeah i think it's uh pretty special just because you know elijah and i were talking about this as a joke and just kind of being like oh mm-hmm. like we should start a podcast we should start a podcast and um you know here we are uh just got called off from the miners so um we made the show so it's pretty cool it's pretty dope right boys all right so uh shout out to everybody who's been listening to us from the very beginning and uh we hope that you'll just, you know, share and let everybody know wh- what we're doing. And, you know, this support has been really cool so far. Brother B, he's been killing it online for our team. For those who don't know, Brother B is our social media guy. He does our graphics. It looks really cool what he does for us. Well, I mean, you, you, you find a way to come up with a nickname for everyone within like the first minute of you knowing them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what it is, but I just, I just, it's just always about me. I'm always like, you know, I just can't just look at someone and just call them their name. I have to, you know, I have to put something on top of it. So I just, you know, I can't just call him Brian. Hey, Brian's done a great job for us. I got to give him some flavor. You know what I mean? Some spice on it, right? So yeah. Got to put some spice on it. So, um, but he's, he's been killing it. You guys got to admit, he's been killing it because, you know, I was looking back at some of our old stuff that we did, like the, um, the Joel Ward graphic. I want to put, I want Brother B to put that graphic up against like one of the new ones and just to show how far we have come, especially on that part. So we got to give brother B a big shout out and uh, thanks for being a part of this. Cause uh, you know, it's just going to help us take it to another level. Oh, guess who gave us a shout out on Twitter boys. Ooh. The green eyed bandit. Huh? The one who added a kill Thomas starstruck. Add the kill. Shook. Remember that Elijah? Remember? Oh, no one remembers that. For those who do not know who we're speaking of, I'll give you a little sample of it right now. So, Sarah, um, um, <laughs> see, they used to get you all the time, but it's the God. eyes, uh, the green yeah. eyes. Stop <laughs> sticking down her eyes, bro. Like, the green uh, eye band oh, that has them on the You know what I mean? Glasses on, too. I literally was thinking that question for so long, and then I just I forgot it. It's a lack of focus. 
She had a kill on cloud nine. Those eyes were mesmerizing and he just could not get any word out. So um, thanks to Sarah Nurse for that shout out. We appreciate it. And um, we hope to have her back on the show again. Right, Akil? Fake news, but yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, before I let the boys give you guys some of their news, um, there's some been really cool news out in the hockey world. The LA Kings, they started an inclusion initiative um, that they say was going to be used to battle racism in hockey and beyond. Uh, the leadership role has been given to a friend of the show, Blake Bolden. So congratulations to Blake on her new position. Hopefully she'll be able to open up some doors within that organization as well, do some great things in the community as far as um, expanding the game of hockey in the minority communities, especially in LA. So big up to the LA Kings for that. Also a shout out and congratulations to Rico Phillips. He's from Michigan. He just landed a new job with the OHL as the Director of Cultural Diversity and Inclusion. Rico won the Willie O'Ree Community um, Hero Award at last year's NHL Awards. Uh, he's a great dude. He's done some great work in the community with hockey and youth, and I know he's going to do a great job in the O. Um, so shout out to the Flint Inner City Youth Hockey Program, which he founded. So a lot of great stuff is happening inside the, the world of hockey. So just before I forget, uh, we mentioned Sarah Nurse. We, we mentioned uh, Blake Bolden. Um, for those of you who want to watch uh, past episodes, we've taken them off all platforms, and we're going to um, put them on the under the NHL platform within the next week. So a couple of people have mes- messaged me uh, asking where they went, but uh, they're going right back uh, on the NHL. So I'll yeah, give us about game. a week. E, what's going on with you, Mike? Not much. Um, I mean, usually you ask that question, I say not much, just been chilling, but I've actually been up to a lot lately. I went, got a tattoo. What is it? Uh, so I got a compass inside of a rose, and then I got uh, two people walking towards the CN Tower, and I got the Toronto skyline in the background. So Who are the two people? Who are the two people that are walking towards the... I don't know yet. <laughs> I don't know. Kind of leaving just, that up in the air. Could be me just, and my brother, me and my dad. I don't know yet. But I, I saw the design and I liked it. And you know, I just kind of rocked with it. <laughs> who this else guy could gets it a be? tattoo on his body of two people and he doesn't know who they are. Well, it's a, it's a silhouette. It's not like... <laughs> it's I'll, just, I'll show you guys after. We got you Take a picture of it. We'll get Brother B to throw it up on our platforms and then we'll get everybody to get the, you know put their two cents in it. Right, and they can... They can maybe add who those two people is. It could be yeah. Hansel and Gretel. It could be Ren and Stimpy. Could be whoever you want it to be. Huh? Yeah, we'll see. All right. On top of that, I got a dog as well. Oh, uh, word. Yeah, I got a golden retriever. She's like, or he's eight weeks old. So did that. Started an entrepreneurship class. So I'm keeping myself busy, but it's uh, it's all good stuff. Akia, what do you got for us? Yeah. So. Um, uh, basically, my dad coaches in the East Coast Hockey League, as we know, and um, his head coach that brought him on ended up um, just being let go. That's just how hockey is. And um, so my dad didn't know if he had a job next year, basically, because, you know, when head coaches get hired, they sometimes and most times they bring their assistant coaches. And mm. um, so my dad was just kind of on the bubble of not knowing uh, what he was doing next year. And he's a type of guy where he has to know what he's doing like next year. Like he's very 
um, organized that way. So he was stressing for a little bit. And uh, basically he found out that the head coach indeed was, um, you know, bringing an assistant coach. So uh, I could just tell he was pretty bummed out. Like he, he talked about settling in, in Greenville. He loved it there. It was perfect for him. So uh, he was definitely a little bit upset and, and stuff and, you know, just asking, so like, what are you going to do now? And, you know, he, he got all like how he always gets, oh, I don't even know if I'm going to coach. Maybe I should get a real job. He was just sulking. <laughs> That's just the way he is basically. And yeah. um, basically I called him today and um, he told me that he accepted a uh, head coach job with the Motor City Rockers of the oh. FHL. So um, I was, it's in Detroit. Uh, basically like five, 10 minutes out of Detroit. And um, I was like, okay, that that's sick. Like what's uh, uncle Leonard doing his, his brother basically. And I always just, you know, thought that they'd end up coaching together one day. I think it'd be pretty cool. And not only is he like coaching with my dad, he's actually coming out of retirement and he's starting to play again. So no. yeah, he is going to play. Yeah. So he played for 13 years, like mm. in the minors you know, Fort Wayne, Bloomington, Peoria, Flint. He played all over the place. He ended up uh, retiring in uh, Fort Wayne or Mississippi. And uh, that was in 2015. So five years later, he's going to put the skates back on and they're going to coach and kind of play together. So um, I think that's pretty cool. And um, my uncle Leonard and I are, are very similar in how we are as a person. Like, he would play mini six with me when I was a kid and my dad would never play mini six with me. Cause he's not like a, he wouldn't play road hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would never do any of that. He's just an on ice guy. Whereas my uncle, you know, he's always playing road hockey. He's always playing mini six. He's kind of like me in that aspect. And I always thought like if I retired and there was an opportunity for me to play again, I would definitely do it. So um, I think it's just kind of neat how that kind of worked out. And you know, I'm pretty excited to, they're going to have so much fun together. So it's pretty cool. Pretty good. Yeah. It's crazy how things kind of go full circle, full circle and work out. And, you know, my, my parents have always told me just trust God's plan. And, you know, your dad was stressing. He was, didn't know it was going to happen and good things are happening for him, I think. And I think he, if you ask him, he's probably pretty excited for this job. And, you know, I think that's just a testament to, you know, even when you're stressed and you don't know what's going to happen next, just kind of trust in God and know that he's got the right plan for you. And uh, it's pretty exciting for your dad that that worked out. And I've known your dad for quite a bit and he's a good guy. So uh, happy for him. Well, good luck to the boys, man. I, you know, I, those guys are some really intense hockey guys. And I, I honestly think that, you know, who knows down the road, I think those guys have the ability to coach in the AHL. I think they have the ability down the road to possibly one day work their way up into the show. So who knows? Maybe one day, you know, your father might get up there and you might end up, you know, playing for your dad one day in the NHL. Who knows? Who or knows? against them. Or against them. Anything is possible. Speaking about the show, um, next week it all starts up. Um, it all starts up. Pretty exciting. I think baseball's this week, NBA, NHL next week. So. Me personally, I'm excited to uh, get to watching and, you know, it's it's going to be competitive, I think, and don't really know who's going to win. I, I My pick is Boston. I don't know about you guys. I think Boston's probably the deepest team. I think they're going to come away with it, but just who, who are you guys going for? Oh, man. You know, you know again, I'm a hometown boy, so I got I to gotta root for my Leafs, but... Um, 
Don't sleep on the Oilers. Uh, good chance for Boston, I think. This might be Tampa's year, though. Who knows? Um, but we should uh, we should put a bracket together. I know we talked about it earlier, but um, we should do like a you know bracket to where we you know like a legit bracket. I think we just thought of the first couple rounds, so okay. um, that's something we could do. All right, we'll get Brother B to set one up, and then we'll have our brackets to say, you know, what the three of us have um, picked. And at the end, we'll see who's the closest. And do we put anything on this, boys? Is there anything on this? What are we saying? Uh Dinner? Dinner for the winner? Dinner. Dinner for the winner. Dinner for the winner. That's it. Um, So listen, everybody, once again, thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you for rocking with us from the jumpstart. Uh, we're just going to try and, you know, do the best that we can to bring you guys some great shows. We're going to have some great guests for everybody um, down the road. But today we're talking about today. We've got some really great guests. Um, so we're going to take a quickie. And then when we come back, we've got Jacob Slavin, Connor Carrick, and from the San Jose Sharks, Evander Kane, right here on Soul on Ice, the podcast. First up, growing up in Vancouver, BC, he has always lit it up as a hockey player since he put the skates on at three years old, representing Team Canada in 2008 at the U18. He walked away with gold and the following year at the World Juniors, another gold. He comes from a sports family. His father, amateur boxer, mother, college volleyball player, uncle, Canadian ball hockey, Hall of Famer, cousin, played in the CFL and the NFL, and another cousin boxed at the 92 Summer Olympics in Barcelona. When he was drafted in 2009 to the once Atlanta Thrashers, he became the highest drafted black athlete in the NHL, first round, fourth overall, named after the legend Evander Holyfield. Let's welcome Evander Big Daddy Kane. Appreciate that. I was uh, that was juice. Like that. <laughs> that was juice. I gotta hire you. <laughs> Let me ask you guys. I don't, this. Know, I don't know how you're not doing intros. For that's the, the only intro. Just cut to the show now. I'm following in. Yo, listen. Yeah. Uh, hey, wait. First of all, you does any, did, too. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you guys this: Did anybody understand my reference, Big Daddy Kane? Of course. Right over my head. Right over okay. my head. Jacob. No idea. Nope, All right, not. he's one of the greatest rappers of all time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks, Evander. Hey, hey, man, a quick question for you. Uh, have you ever met Evander Holyfield? Yeah, I have. I met him uh, my first year in Atlanta. Uh, he was living in Atlanta, obviously, and uh, he came to one of our pregame skates, got to meet him, talk to him, hang out with him a little bit, and uh, and then came to the game that following night. So um, I got to know him uh, pretty well. He, him and my dad are actually pretty good friends now. Mm. They, they, uh, they stay in touch. Um he always hosted a uh, a bowling tournament um, for charity in Atlanta that brought a lot of different celebrities. And, um, it was really cool to be a part of that and, and kind of be invited to those things uh, as a really young player. This is this is Evander with the cut air, the bit in the air. No, 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 no. I'm not that old. I'm not that old. I'm only 28 <laughs> here, so this was definitely after the uh, after the Mike Tyson fight. You know, I, okay. I think I was. I think it was like maybe 11 when I was listening to the radio. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I was in the, in the car with my dad. And, it was like breaking news. Yeah. Know, the here gets bit. I'm like, holy, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me, tell me, you've had a chance to pull out the phone, show the video of you and Matt Cook, because I'm sure he would have been proud of that one. 
Yeah, I mean, I got a lot of uh, positive feedback. Um, from that one? From that one, yeah. <laughs> Obviously with uh, the type of player Matt Cook was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then me only being 18. And that oh, you were only 18 team. at that? You were only 18? Yeah, it was my first year. Wow. It was the last game okay. of the season my first year. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah, I was. I had, I think, uh, it was Matt Rupt and uh, Goddard kind of coming after me. And I I uh, decided not to fight either one of those guys and fight somebody a little bit more in my weight class. <laughs> I think it was a smart decision. Smart decision, smart decision. All right, next up, this young man was born in Colorado where they shot one of my favorite movies of all time, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He was drafted to the NHL in 2012, fourth round, 120th overall. Despite that, he committed himself to higher education, going to Colorado College to play Division I hockey, where he was named NCHC Rookie of the Year and both NCHC All-Rookie Team and All-Conference Second Team back in 2013-2014 that season. Uh, it, took him, it took him two years uh, making his debut in the NHL as a defenseman to score his hat trick. Like, I don't understand why that took you so long to score a hat trick, my friend, but we'll talk about that later. Let me introduce you to Jacob Slavin. What's happening, my man? What's going on? Thanks for having me. Took you two I've never years. seen that movie. You've never, never seen, seen that movie. You've never seen oh. Butch Cassidy's? Oh, come on, bro. Are you a movie guy? No. Not really, but um, yeah, I'll have Represents. to put that on the list. Put that one on. Okay, you're not a movie guy. Um, have you been to the Stanley Hotel? No. You know the Stanley Hotel? No. The Stanley Hotel is in Colorado, bro. you got to represent your yeah. hometown. Okay, so the Stanley <laughs> Hotel like is... the Four Seasons. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Four Seasons. <laughs> never had a stay in a hotel in Colorado growing up, so never went to, <laughs> never went downtown for a hotel. I would think you would know it because the Stanley Hotel, is it's, it's in the outskirts. It's very famous because you guys seen Dumb and Dumber, right? Yes. Okay, Fine. Stanley Hotel. Has any of you guys seen The Shining? No. Oh, my God. Do you guys like horror movies? Anybody like horror movies? Can't touch them. Oh, my God. Kinda. The Shining. No. Put it on your list, boys. <laughs> it's a classic. Uh, last but not least, this kid became one of my favorite people when I met him a few months back. He grew up in Illinois, played AAA hockey with the Chicago Fury, who actually retired his number he made his way north to play in the OHL with the um, Guelph Storm in 2013 at the IIHF World Under-18 Championship. He walked away with gold around his neck for the Stars and Stripes. Uh, drafted in 2012, fifth round, uh, 137th overall. He is the only NHL player in history that can say he bust a freestyle with a Grammy award-winning rapper. Step into the mic is my homie, Connor Carrick. What up, man? What's up? Is today redemption? Are we going again? Like, <laughs> I need a heads up. You can't have life left start, you know, jumping in mid-season form and then just throw me the rock like that while I'm sitting on the bench not ready to go. Hey, hey, um, man. I have better in the tank about. than that. I'm, I was, you know... Slam poetry junior year in high school, not a big deal. I thought I had something better in the tank than that, but. Hey, listen, you held it down for the first couple of bars. I mean, we, we need some work, but listen, uh, I was still impressed. It's, it, 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 you know, I knew you had a little flow. If we gave you a little bit more time, I guarantee you, I know you would have done it. But you know what? I swear to you, my friend, you will have redemption on that one day. I I'm going to show up at Clef's house. I'm going to show up at Clef's house and hire him for lessons. I'm like, dude, we got we to gotta put some reps in. <laughs> I can't get caught cold like that again. 
For those who don't know, Connor, Blake Coleman, Bryce Salvador, and Blake Bolden were a part of a great piece that I directed for the NHL called Off Ice, uh, where we had a great conversation about race in the game of hockey. And it was at his house. And man, oh man, Connor, tell me we were not ahead of our time on that one. I mean, we were. We were texting about it as we were setting up this podcast about, you know, how uncanny the timing was. And, you know, I think that's the purpose of why we're all here today to try and, you know, chew on some of these uh, bigger ticket items that, you know, society, you know, the, the attention's there right now and it's, it's an opportunity for growth. Um, how are you guys going to remember 2020? And I, I know I say that knowing that we got six months to go, but how are you guys going to remember 2020? Evander set it off. Um, I don't know. You're going to remember it from uh, your own personal uh, experiences and then obviously everything that's going on in the world. Um, you know, I'm, I like to stay as positive as I can um, with, with a lot of what I do um, and try to look for, for some of the positives uh, that have transpired even thus far. But um, man, you go back to uh, Kobe passing away to, um, obviously the coronavirus to, you know, the social injustice issues and, and, and more, you know, black and, and black women and black men being murdered by police, um, and kind of where we're at in a society. And you see a lot of people, uh, stepping out into the light per se, yeah. um, yeah. And, and really showcasing their true colors. So, um, hopefully it's a time that we can look back on and, and say, you know, it, it had to get a little worse before it got better. So, um, that's the way I'm looking at it. Jacob, what do you, what about you? I think when I look back on just in July now, so seven months into 2020, I think the only word that really comes to my mind is just crazy. Uh, <laughs> just with everything, um, that's been going on, but also look back on it and uh, it's a time for growth, um, in so many different areas and, we see a lot of people just questioning a lot of things, especially during the whole COVID time. Um, but now, like Amanda said, with all the social injustices that are going on, you just have you have people checking their own hearts in a lot of the in a lot of these ways, and so um, just a lot of room for growth um, as well with everything going on. Yeah, I think Deco, you know, Kaner and Jacob, you need uh, some stillness for reflection. I think COVID offered that. I think COVID. Um, had a lot of people sitting at home, you know, work schedules were, uh, if not completely laid off, totally different. And, you know, the country, I live in the U.S., I live in Chicago, you know, had time and space to have to sit with, you know, some of the videos that were surfacing on, you know, through the power of social media and things like that. And uh, Kaner touched on it where, um, you know, black lives and, and the interaction with you know, our police force is not something I think the country's proud of right now. And it's a, it's a time of serious reflection. And I think you need a little bit of chaos to adjust order. Um, otherwise things just kind of remain status quo. And, um, it's an opportunity. I think there's been a great shaking of the norm in the first six, seven months. And then there'll be, you know, hopefully I know even for myself, like there, there should be some growth opportunities. I've done an audit, you know, of my personal life, how I've interacted with, you know, social injustices, habits in my day-to-day life, uh, you know, pre-COVID um, that need editing and, and don't serve me any longer. So, you know, my hope is society at large is that, you know, there's an opportunity here that uh, is unprecedented and can lead to um, conversations like this and, and hopefully, more importantly, uh, improved action, you know, uh, morally within our country. 
agree with you. Um, <clears throat> Jacob, when you read the article by Kim Davis, Our Vision, what was your first impressions? I think, um, trying, to, trying to think back, I read it a couple of days ago, but um, just making sure that hockey is, is a sport that um, has, a, I guess, an open-door policy for um, people of color and just making sure that we are um, being inclusive as, as we can and and striving for that not just being okay with um how it is now but actually striving and working towards um a different hockey a different hockey culture um especially here in the u.s mm -hmm. I that's kind of my my initial takeaway you know i want to keep it a buck with you guys um you know and it all starts in the title of that article and other articles hockey is indeed for everyone Whereas Akima Lu's um, article for the Player Tribune was hockey is not for everyone. Now, I think that it's all in the eye of the beholder, to be honest with you guys. I personally feel that it is for everyone. Um, I love the game, and the game personally gave me a second shot at life and a career. Um, if it wasn't for me, then I don't think that I would have been allowed to create um, a lot of cool content that I thought was that's very in, uh, worthy of our world. For example, taking Ryan Reeves to a black barber shop in Las Vegas to speak about race and the perspective of um, blacks in the game of hockey. But at the same time, I can also understand as an individual who, who may have gone through something like Akeem, um, that it might not feel like it is for everyone because they have been judged by the color of their skin and not by their um, actions on the ice and off the ice as people. Um, Evander, I want to start with you. How do you take the statement by the NHL, hockey is for everyone? Um, it's, it's a good question. Uh, you know, I think, and, I, and I've had a lot of these discussions um, with a lot of different people, including Kim, um, Hockey is, I think hockey can be for everybody. I don't think it currently is for everybody. And I think, you know, there's um, hundreds and thousands of examples of, of why that's, you know, not true. I, I think the biggest issue I had um, from an NHL player standpoint was uh, the NHL placing their hockey is for everybody month uh, in the month of February. The month of February has always been a month to celebrate black history. And to me, I thought it was a bit of a slap in the face. I thought it was uh, poor judgment. And I thought, you know, out of the six months during the season, you know, how could you not found another month to, to have that campaign um, right. take a prominent role uh, for the NHL? Um, also, before Kim even got into the league and became a part of our league, we never celebrated Black History Month. It, was, um, it wasn't even a thought. It, wasn't, it had no interest uh, within uh our league and um it was it was a question i always raised but never got any answers um and it wasn't until and kim became a part of the league and, and had her role uh that we even acknowledged it so for me that that whole campaign um as great as it is and as important as it is um i thought there were, i thought it was flawed and, and i and i didn't understand um the messaging for for me it just seemed like they were trying to overlook um black history and, and really, you know, our black players in, in the game. And with that point, that's why it's so important that an industry like hockey become more inclusive. 
because it's just like what you said. It's not until Kim Davis came into the league that she recognized that all these different um, causes should not fall under one month and we should separate them, which has happened in the last two years with Black History Month having its own spot in February and teams given the opportunity to celebrate it in the way that they can. Um, I think it was really cool when I was in San Jose, Evander, we got to uh, connect at the Black History Month truck and you know stuff like that is definitely what's needed. Connor, I want to go to you with that one as well. What do you think about the statement, hockey is for everyone? I think it's a goal. I think, um, you know, hockey has a lot of uh, barriers to entry. And I think you're seeing that, you know, whether that's with the cost, you know, there's an argument in socioeconomic. But then when you see the makeup of our teams, it's that's the result that matters, whether it's from front office on down to players. Um Hockey clearly has uh, barriers at every level that is preventing a more diverse um, showing, a more diverse um, group of players. And I think that it's a great goal uh, for hockey to have. You first need to identify uh, an issue or a problem, and then you can you know, have solution-based thinking uh, to try to reverse engineer how to get the result you want. And that's what I read in Kim's article, that they were um, – you know, the letter was uh, one of strength, of great leadership, clarity. It was uh, certainly compelling, very clear on what she wants to bring forward to the game. And I think as, you know, current NHLers, it's our job uh, to facilitate further action. I think uh, intent, while, you know, noble is is, uh, is cheap, it's easy, you know, to want to make things better. Uh, now it's, it's on players like us uh, and leaders within our game to – really make sure we see through the change in hockey that I believe is possible. I, I love this game. It's given me so much, Kwame, like you. Uh, I've met, you know, awesome, awesome people. Um, but it can be better. And and, and then the last part I want to make on, on stories, you know, uh, like Akeem's Players' Tribune article was respect. I, I think I the amount of respect I have for our black players and players that come through uh, stories of all, you know, uh, difficult cases you know I would get shook up as a young kid when a coach sat me for something that was totally within reason when a coach said something mean um you know based off a bad play and to deal with that in terms of your race it's a shame and it's a I definitely have a lot of um respect for the athlete that is able to you know uh continue their love for the game the best they can in the face of you know that injustice Jacob you want to add on to that I, I mean, I don't know if there's much to add on to that. Those are both great answers. Um, but no, I, I think like Connor said, is just, just the action that needs to be, that needs to take place, especially as, as white players in this game, we need to also, I don't know, we, we, we hear the term white ally going around and we need to make sure we're being that, that ally, um, for people of cover color and being advocates, um, and, and for that and, and inclusive part of the game. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the action part definitely needs to be had. So let's talk about the code of silence that hockey players have. When I was doing my documentary, Soul on Ice, Past, Present, and Future, the one thing that a lot of people brought up to me and said to me is that a lot of the players of color are not going to speak about certain things for the fact that there's repercussions. Um, you know, and I, I really feel it's a shame that a, a player of color has to feel that they have to be silent. And we all know that that's, you know, just there. 
of Vander, how is that code of silence ingrained in a young player? And I mean, I know you're really outspoken, but do you feel that you have played, uh, have you been a part of that, that whole, I got, I can't say nothing because I don't want to be benched or, um, reg- uh, you know, yeah, so so to your point, um, you know, I think it's ingrained in you at a really young age. You know, s- hockey is such a team sport, um, and you learn that when you when you first you know put your skates on and 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 are a member of, of your first team, and you know it, it's all about the team first, and, and those type of things are preached, and that's and that's one of the great parts of what hockey is is it is a team sport, and and you understand that's what you sign up for. Um, at the same time, it's it's also the messaging that, that especially in Canada that uh, goes along with that is, is kind of conforming to what everybody else is doing. Um, you know, individuality and, and, and personality is, is looked at, especially as a minority player um, in a negative light. Um, it's looked at uh, as an issue. It's, it's, uh, there's some sort of, internal maybe subconscious bias um that not only players have but parents coaches um etc and and it's unfortunate um you know i came into the league with with a lot of personality um you know always been a great teammate coming through junior and, and so on and so forth i get to atlanta things are fine things are good you know i have my first couple of years in the nhl and then we get to winnipeg and, and it, it's 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 crazy to me because for the first time I, I felt I couldn't be myself. Mm. Um, I felt that uh, I became paranoid um, with everything that I said or did or, um, and, and really to me, it kind of pushed me into a corner where I felt I, I couldn't do or say what I wanted to do um, as a grown man at that point. And, and I think, now I've definitely grown out of that. That's, that's expired. And, and, you know, I'm part of an organization and, and a group of, group of guys that, um, you know, really push those individual qualities, and, um, you know, the uniqueness of individuals. And I think you look at any team, any great team, any team that's won the cup, you look at St. Louis last year, you know, I'm sure that they weren't 20 of the exact same people. You know, they had different personalities, different players, different skill sets that came together as a team to make themselves great. And I think that's how you build great teams. Uh, Jacob, have you ever felt that you couldn't be yourself? Did that code of silence ever affect you in any way, shape or form as a white player in the game of hockey? Um, honestly, no. I mean, I think that, I think we definitely have that privilege of not having that code of silence. And that's something that um, isn't right. Uh, but yeah, no, I never felt that I couldn't be myself. Um, never felt. I mean, so I'm a, I'm a really strong Christian, and sometimes that can guys can get um, kind of weird about that. But even then, there, there's no judgment there. Um, but I, I can't speak to the experiences of people of color that they have to that code of silence because there, there was no code of silence as a white person uh, playing the game growing up or even now. Connor, hearing what Evander said about that code of silence and having to um, hold that in, how does that make you feel knowing that you've played this game, you've loved this game, and to look at a brother in arms like like Evander or um, uh, 
Chris Stewart or um, Nazem Kadri, looking at guys like these and to, to think that they have to be quiet or they have to tone down their personality just to play the game that they love. Yeah, I think there's um, there's great pain in, in, in authenticity. There's, it's very tiresome to put on an act every day uh, and try and mute you know, who you are as a, as a man and as a, as a person. I think hockey has uh, beautiful elements of, of teamwork where, you know, every team tries to enforce uh, or I guess breed a, a strong culture. That's a buzzword used a lot in NHL rooms. Um, but I think to Kaner's point, a team of strong individual leaders is one with strong moral character. That, that's someone where everyone feels empowered to be themselves and, and to be able to make the decision on what they can bring to the room and, and be who they are. Um, I think it's, uh, it's really demanding to try to hold back every day and, and try and think, you know, with the result in mind of, of what does somebody want and then just trying to pander to that. I think that's very difficult um, to do. And I don't think it's uh, something – I think the term that gets thrown around is old school. It's a little old school. Um, but for me – I've experienced insecurity in my life. I've experienced anxiety in my life. I know how uneasy that feeling can be. And so all I know is moving forward is I'm 26 now in this game and I'm getting older. Uh, my goal is to help younger players come in the league field, to comfort in being who they are that maybe I didn't have. Uh, and to, to Kaner's point, you know, he is uh, really stepping into his own, you know, as a leader in the room that he's in now. Um, and you can't. Uh, you know, go back in time and, and erase what's happened. Uh, but I think as leaders in the game, we're in a powerful place to uh, act differently and create cultures um, accordingly that we, we would desire when we came up. Uh, now moving forward, very similar to like the, you know, the Chara comment. Chara had made comments about how hard older guys were on him and things like that when he came into the league. And he's a monster. I don't know how guys bullied him. Um, you know, but he said, when I get to a position of power, things will be different. And uh, good for him. And that's kind of a, a similar goal that I have in my mind day in, day out in our room. When a guy like Achara says that, you know, when I get older and I get into a position of power, things are going to change. That makes me think about um, a lot of talk about change. And how do we or how do you guys as players hold the hockey world accountable for the change that they want to be a part of now that they are saying that in this moment in time, they want to make sure that things are different. Evander, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you start. Um, well, I, I, I think it, it goes back to, um, you know, the group that, that you know, we started uh, with the Hockey Diversity Alliance and, and the players that we have uh, on board there. Um, you know, we came together uh, to not only to, to create change and, and, and promote the game uh, to different groups, um, but to hold the league and, and the higher ups accountable and, and be a buffer there. Um, I think it's, it's extremely important because the excuse of holding yourself accountable, um, you know, is no longer. We've had uh, 30, 40, 50 years to do that. Um, it hasn't happened. And, and I think, you know, we wanted to take it upon ourselves as, as minority players in the league um, to, to be a part of that and, and to, to finally stand up for, for what we believe in and, and, and step out and, and speak up and, 
come as United front. We understand their strength and numbers. We need players like Jacob, like Connor, um, to be a part of that message, um, to be a part of that accountability. Um, and I think it's great that they're on. And I really appreciate both uh, both of them saying the things they're saying because it's it's true and you can hear how genuine it is. Um, but that can't be said about uh, some other people. And, and I think that's where the education part comes in and, and, and the listening. And I think it's important for people to, to have an interest because we haven't been interested in these topics um, in the past. Um, it makes you wonder why now. Uh, you, know, you can point to the George Floyd killing. You can point to um, social media. Uh, you, can, you can do all those things, but um, you have to ask yourself why the interest now. And, and I think um, understanding what's gone on uh, throughout time and, and understanding, yes, we have to move forward, but you have to, uh, I believe Connor said that you have to acknowledge the problem. You have to acknowledge the fact that, you know, we have made mistakes or, or you have made mistakes as individuals. And, and, and in order for people to get on board and, and, and accept you know, you wanting to create change and move forward, you have to make those acknowledgements. I, I, I do appreciate that statement because, you know, as individuals, <clears throat> and I think Jacob, you can attest to this as well, that we have to look within ourselves before we can um, become better people. And I think that happens to individuals as well as an industry. Um, what do you guys want to see happen as far as policy goes? from the league jacob as far as policy goes oh man i'm i'll have to think about that for a second but uh <laughs> no to speak to evander's point uh, just about the listening i think um for my wife and i we adopted a black daughter um last april she, we, we had yes. her from birth and we weren't we weren't seeking out a black daughter we were just kind of open to whatever god gave us but that really opened our eyes and opened our hearts to everything that's going on, not just within the game of hockey, but within um, society. And I think, like Connor said and like uh, Kane said, is just acknowledging the past and being educated on what uh, what the truth is behind American history and just what it was built on. And, um, like I said, that's really been eye-opening uh, to my wife and I, and we're, we're continuing to learn and I think the biggest thing uh, he said was to listen, Norm, to listen to those of color that have gone through it, that have experienced it. Um, can't tell you how many people I've heard say, oh, I don't think racism exists because I don't, I don't see it happen. And, and then you look at who they're surrounding themselves with and it's just a bunch of white people. And so mm. um, to actually sit down and listen um, to the experiences of black people is uh, truly eye-opening and, uh, uh, and heartbreaking at the same time. Um, but as far as far as far as policy goes, um, I think I think it does start within the walls of the room and making sure you're calling out uh, even just the little comments that go on within the game of hockey within within the walls within the guys and just like I said before, being that ally um, um, for people of color. But as far as, as far as like league wide policy goes. Um, I think probably having a stricter, stricter set of rules for, for racist, racist, uh, racist, racist slur, sorry, um, and things along those lines of just being being stricter on those and um, not allowing any room for error and those sort of things. 
Um, Connor, can you have you thought about policies yet? I mean, it, policy is a big thing because once you put it down on paper, that's where it lives. And and uh, and uh, I hate to put you guys on the spot that you may not have even thought about the policies. But is there something that you personally would like to see from the league? Yeah, I think we need to be, you know, like Kaner said, there's been a long time to get it right. And I think there's a societal acknowledgement that we haven't thus far. Um, so whether that's fresh voices, new voices, uh, weighing in on the subject, like there needs to be um, some creativity and um, a more nuanced, you know, conversation. So policies for me uh, and w- what I would look for, I guess, and what I would consider a policy I'd be really excited to stand behind would be um, things of real texture. So how to get uh, more black players in the game? Well, you know, the NHL in theory is the best players make it. So you've got to create more best players. How can we do that? Can we go down to the grassroots level? Can we uh, allocate certain percentages of dollars? I don't know how the NHL runs. Uh, You know, is there a, a league wide program? Is it more on the individual team to grow the game in their grassroots area? How can we um, ensure that some of those dollars are funneled to uh, areas or uh, groups of people that uh, can benefit to make the game more diverse at the player level? At the front office level, because I know that's you know, an issue too in terms of um, you know, whether there's you know, not enough black GMs, black marketing uh, you know, advisors, yada, yada. Um, how can you improve the talent pool so that people are um, – more excited to hire you know maybe you know i know the nfl has what's the name of the nfl rule where they it's mandatory you interview a black candidate the rooney rule right so you know is that something that improves the quality of experience uh for black candidates every time that they interview right because that's something that a lot of nhl teams you'll hear when they make hires this this uh you know man or woman has nhl experience hockey experience marketing experience um, so for me, I think, and this is where I think the strength of uh, Kim's language was in her articles was it was very precise. And I think we need to get away from like the abstract, like the, away from like the, the hockey is for everyone month and really have concrete texture um, to our plans that lead to the results mm-hmm. that we're looking for. And I mean, for me, that's kind of a, a, a big up here, pulling the strings policy, you know, decision-making. That's not where I spend a lot of my time thinking. Um, you know, I'm more so, you know, trying to look in the mirror and really ensuring that my character behind closed doors, you know, at a, at a family barbecue where, you know, someone says something in a locker room where mm. uh, someone thinks a joke that's funny, that's not funny. Um, and having conversation uh, that is, uncomfortable at the time you know you need some it's the same thing as a hockey game hockey game is going one way there's a whole lot of momentum going against your club you got to fight you got to score you got to hit somebody you got to do something to create some conflict and change the momentum tide um and the facts are we're unhappy with the way hockey is going there's been some chaos and social unrest that is appropriate uh for george floyd uh, and the the woman that called the police in the in the on the guy that was the gentleman that was bird watching i'm forgetting the name right now yeah, central um, Park. Yeah, in Central Park, you know exactly. What I'm talking. I mean, horrifying, um, and those, you know, those issues bleed into our game. And there's an opportunity to change the tide of momentum. It's going to require um, some conflict or change because the policy is, I think, just a little abstract. I would look for texture and true actionables, deliverables. Mm. 
Evander, um, have you thought about policies yet? I know the Alliance is talking about a lot of different issues right now, but uh, you personally, is there any sort of policies that you would like to see the NHL implement? Yeah, you know, um, it's funny you mentioned policy. That that was kind of at the top of our list uh, with our Alliance, and, and it's something that, you know, I brought up early on when, when we first started talking because policy doesn't require any money. It doesn't require, you know, uh, any active uh, work, you know, it requires just thinking and, and conversation and, and listening and learning. And I think policy at the NHL level, yeah, there, there's some definitely tweaks we need to make. Um, there's some there's some things we need to implement. You know, I look at the the whistleblower policy, uh, and, and I think you you go back to the Akeem Alou story. What if there's another Akeem Alou story? How is that person who is holding um, that colleague or that player accountable going to, going to be protected so that he's not reprimanded. He doesn't suffer any consequences. He's not maybe uh, getting, you know, his opportunities aren't, aren't squashed based off him coming out and holding somebody accountable. I think in a way he should be, for lack of a better term, rewarded or uplifted by his peers mm-hmm. for, for coming out and, and having that accountability um, amongst his peers. So that's one uh, policy. And a lot of these policies, though, I think need to be implemented not only by the NHL, but with organizations such as Hockey Canada and USA Hockey, because you talk about the grassroots level and where you need to make the biggest change. Those organizations have the most power to be able to create that change. And, and we've actually, um, I've had some really good discussions with Tom Rennie of Hockey Canada um, this past week. And, I think they're, they've been extremely receptive to, to a lot of the policy changes that we'd like to make and see um, within their organization. And um, I know USA Hockey um, and reached out to myself uh, a few days ago, and, and we're going to be having conversations with them. But, you know, to, to Connor's point, you know, I think it just goes back to one of the policies we have written down, obviously, in a lot of details, prioritizing minorities. and. Right. and and growing the game, you don't have to be a player to be involved in hockey. There's so many ways you can be involved in hockey. You know, yourself being a great example of that. And and we need to be able to promote that. And at the same time, I'm not saying we need to be picking black players over white players if the black player isn't as good as the white player. That's the last thing I want. You know, I, I want the best of the best. Yeah, you don't want me. You don't want me as your line mate. No, no, we're not. You know, we're, we're not looking for that. But what we want to do is we want to give opportunities. To, to minorities so that they have the same opportunity to be able to compete, grow, and, you know, maybe accomplish their goal as, you know, white players have, have had, uh, you know, for a long time. And, and Canada, uh, being such a big hockey market, um, has a big role to play in that. But we also have to introduce and educate um, diverse uh, communities and, 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 and people to the game of hockey because it's a great game. It's the best mm-hmm. game in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame that there's not more interest in it, but we have to create it. We have the people to generate that interest. We just don't use it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you 150%, my friend. And uh, I'll say this to you guys. I've always thought, since I've kind of gotten into the whole hockey space, I've always thought that one of the biggest issues in the game of hockey is inclusivity. Not so much diversity, because the game of hockey has always been diverse, not as diverse as we want it to be, but Black people have been playing hockey since the late 1800s. So we're in the mix. The problem for me is the inclusivity. So, for example, 
being able to travel to different um, hockey markets and and working with a lot of hockey teams. And you guys, I want you guys to actually open your blinders and look at this, especially in the states. A lot of the you know the ticket takers, the um, concession, the people that clean, black and Hispanic. But the deeper you get into the organization, the less diverse it is. It's more white. So I feel like if the game um, became a lot more inclusive, you'll have a lot more opportunity for people of color. So I think to, to Vander's point, if we, if the if um, hockey were to be able to set up a system where they would give uh, minorities an opportunity to be a part of an organization or a team it will open up more doors and more thoughts and more conversations. So for example, Ken, are you talking to Tom over at Hockey Canada? Like the first thing I'm saying is, have you guys thought about hiring more people of color inside your organization? Because then you'd get better perspective because they can't come to you all the time, Evander. You know, you're playing, you've got other things that you have to do. But if they had somebody working within that organization, that situation, it might be a lot different. Jacob, would you agree or disagree with what I just said there? I would definitely agree. Um, actually, my wife and I, uh, right now, we're kind of going through it uh, with our daughters. Right now, we're at a, a, an all-white church, and, um, and so we're, we're seeking out diff, a different church. And it's hard with COVID. We actually can't go in person and meet. Um, but it has to be a church that starts with the staff because it's hard to find a diverse church that doesn't have a diverse staff. Um, and so all, all to your point here of making, making the staff diverse, it starts from the top down and what, what does that, what does that staff look like? What do the higher ranking officials look like, uh, for different organizations is just going to make it that much more inclusive, the lower you get and the lower the people coming to work for you are, um, I think it just uh, it start like you said it starts from the top down. So 100% agree with that. Um, Connor, what did you think about the statement "Black Lives Matter" when you first heard it compared to now? I think right now society is particularly um, sensitive to acknowledging the wrong, and the the pain has been front and center of uh, black people in this country. And when you look back to uh, Colin Kaepernick, what was, you know, the response when, you know, he was kneeling during the anthem? Um, I don't remember great defense around uh, his message. I remember a lot of criticism for what he was going through. And then years later, now we're, because these, um, voices of, of social unrest, the people that are really trying to bring light to this feel unheard, the volume turns up and now there's issues uh, within the media of the rioting, right? So if we had heard the message earlier and been more sensitive to um, really listening uh, at an earlier date, maybe we could have prevented the escalation. But, you know, what do you hear uh when you feel unheard, it's very common to turn your volume up. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was the very natural and, and, you know, honestly, I feel appropriate response at the time. And so for me, Black Lives Matter, um, I didn't have the emotional response that I do now. I think I was a little out of touch. And further to your point, Kwame, in terms of needing um, 
workers within the front office, people in positions of power, uh, Evander Kane has dealt with experience of uh, you know, racial bias in hockey his whole life in a way that I can't. In the same way, I'm more equipped if I were to go on and, uh, and apply for a GM someday and that I play the NHL versus someone that didn't. Um, so you only have the life experiences that you do. And I think if we acknowledge that race is an issue in hockey, you need to empower people um, who are more familiar with the ins and outs of racial injustice in our game in order to be, because they're more aware of the nuances of the problem to be able to come up with, you know, solution-based thinking. That's my thought. I agree with you. Um, Vander, what were your thoughts when you saw teams actually say the words Black Lives Matter? I know that in New Jersey, they actually, uh, I think, I'm not sure what rink that was, but they- I think it's our practice rink. Is it your practice rink? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's in the ice right now. So I wanted to get your thoughts because that is a that is direct statement saying that we are a part of this movement. I think we need to come together uh, as a league. You know, I think there's there's certain organizations, there's certain teams that um, are maybe a little bit more proactive than others um, with regards to to wanting to promote the, the necessary change, uh, not only socially, but within our game. And, and, and you see that, um, you've seen examples of that. And, and I think, you know, I, I look at our organization, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. I'm proud that, uh, you know, our captain was uh, one of the first white players to come up and come forward. And, um, you know, our, our owner and hustle plotter, um, being the first and only owner to give a personal statement um, regarding the matter. And, and I think what it does is it just, you know, it empowers you to, to, to be that change, to, to be a part of the solution uh, instead of just being a bystander and, and watching these things pass. And I think we need a little bit more uh, participation, um, not only verbally, but with, with some true action um, within the hockey community. And, and I, hope, I hope we can get there at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just going back to the Alliance, how can fellow players support the Alliance and how do you engage with other players to be a part of and, and help that movement? I mean, you've got Jacob and Connor right here. How do you engage those guys to, to you know, get them a part of what, you're, what you guys are, are planning on doing? Yeah, well, I mean, maybe some bad examples because I, I think in listening to them, they've... Uh, you know, have been listening and have been, uh, you know, learning and, and taking a, a genuine interest in, in what's going on and, and truly want to be a part of that solution. So, so I applaud them for that. I think uh, their leaders um, in, in that regard, uh, you know, with, with what they've done so far and listening to them speak. But, but again, I, I, I think it's important to, for other players and, and, and white players, because let's be honest, there's 90% of the league or 95% of the league is white. It's made up of white players and, and we need them as allies. We need them to back up uh, us and what we're saying as, as minority players and and to understand that, you know, we're, we just want, we want this league to grow. And, and, and you can look at it from so many different uh, avenues in terms of what growth is. Um, if I'm talking to an owner, you know, I'm going to talk dollars and cents because 
that's what they understand. That's what they hear. Uh, well, if we grow our game and our game becomes more diverse and uh, we stop looking like we did back in 1950, well, we're going to create more revenue. Well, creating more revenue, that's going to be more dollars in everybody's pockets. We should grow our game. We have the best game in the world. You know, I look at, you can add it, you, can, you look at the, the money issue in terms of why. Connor McDavid is, our, is the best player in the league. His skill level and talent is on the LeBron James type level. But why is there such a massive discrepancy in how much, what their earning capabilities are? I'll tell you why. Because we're not, uh, we're not as popular. But why aren't we as popular? It's not because our game sucks. It's not because we're not entertaining. It's not because we're not skilled as athletes. It's because we don't promote our players and we don't grow our game and we don't showcase individuality in our game. And, and fans and kids growing up, they love that type of stuff. I love that type of stuff. You know, how many, how many black kids grew up being massive fans of Allen Iverson? You know, like that was everybody's favorite basketball player or Michael Jordan. And we have to, we have to get to that level in the NHL. Conor Davis is making 50, $50 million a year, just like LeBron James. Right, right. It's because of revenue. And, and we don't promote diversity in our sport, you know, we don't promote the black athlete in our sport or the minority in our sport. People don't know. I would go to, I, I was at the ESPYs one time. I was in an elevator uh, be- before the show and it was maybe three years ago. And a woman walks in, she's like, you must be an athlete. I said, yeah. She's like, what do you play? And I said, yes. She's like, basketball. Nope. Football. Nope. Baseball. Nope. She's like, she, she, and then she thought about what else is soccer, that? soccer? And I said, no, <laughs> she went on as far to say cricket <laughs> before she even thought oh. about hockey. Right. Like that, like that's not insulting to me. That's insulting to our sport. That's insulting to our league. Right. You should take that personally. It's, hockey didn't even cross her mind yeah. as a black person being able to play that sport. And I, you know what? And I also think it's about, the the organization of hockey taking advantage of moments. So, for example, you know Tiffany Haddish, uh, one of the most popular uh, uh, comedic actresses right now, had um, made a great comment towards Evander Kane's body issue, and it was I don't know how many people had liked it and retweeted it, but it was big. Queen Latifah was even on there. You have to be able to recognize these moments and take them and say, how do I promote that even more? So for example, you go in and you grab a Vander Kane, you grab Tiffany Haddish, you have them do a commercial, you have them do something together. And that also helps um, grow the game because you're showing that celebrity. Uh, one of the things I've always said was that there's moments in life that you have to take advantage of. I know in the nineties, um, hockey sweaters, were huge in the hip-hop community. Like, everybody wanted a hockey sweater. I mean, I remember, and I'm the old guy here amongst you guys, but I remember when um, Snoop Dogg was on Arsenio Hall show and he came out in the Toronto Maple Leafs um, shirt and everybody in Toronto wanted to wear that. So I think we need to take advantage of these situations um, uh, to Evander's point. But I wanted to just shift a little bit up and talk about change and um, how do we make change? And I'll answer that question first because I believe that the game, you know, for the game to become more inclusive, it's going to take more than just the NHL. It's going to take more than just the Alliance. It's going to take more than just uh, the, the four of us here right now. We're going to have to do this all together. We're going to have to stay in our own lanes and we're going to have to contribute to the game 
as we see it and, 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 and do our little part to make it big. So for example, for myself, as a filmmaker, as a former um, radio announcer, what I want to do personally, my mission is I want to normalize black and minority uh, faces and voices in the hockey space. So Jacob, for you, how do you feel like you'll best be able to contribute to make this game a better game? I think for myself, um, just continuing to educate myself and learn and grow, but at the same time, not just letting it be one, two, three social media posts and just just staying in that social media lane, but also just taking it into live action within my within my team, within my circles of, of friends um, that enjoy the game of hockey itself, um, whether as fans, as players, past teammates, or whatever it is, but just not not being silent in those moments um, when something's said that isn't right, or but being a true advocate for for the game to to be inclusive of everybody, um, and so just really really making sure I'm I'm a true ally and not just one uh, through the screen. Connor, I want you to add on to that. What What are some of the things that you individually want to do to contribute to the growth of the game of hockey when it comes to diversity and inclusion? Yeah, I think a cause I've championed for some time um, is mental health improvement in the athletes and at large. Uh, but I also, it's sort of 1A and 1B, but one of the other um, is uh, players where financially the game's more challenging for them. I think uh, our game, just given the fact the ice is going to be frozen, the equipment's not cheap. Um, if I could either be generous with time to coach uh, underprivileged athletes, drive um, equipment. What's uh, Doesn't Wayne Simmons have um, something he's doing right now? I'm forgetting his... Uh, he has the Warriors. Career. He has Wayne's Warriors. He's had that. I'm not sure if that's uh, how, how that is right now, but that's what he was, he was working with for the last couple yeah, of so years. Yeah, so I would love to um, be generous with you know, any celebrity I could create any time, um, you know, that I could uh, make available to, you know, provide positive experience, coaching, education in the game. Uh, so we can have, you know, more Evander Canes on, on TV, on, on, uh, more Wayne Simmons, you know, in the game, more PK Subans. Um, and, and, you know, Kwame, I think the goal there is more along the lines of inclusivity, like you were mentioning, than diversity, you know, hockey is often, uh, a game of extras, uh, kids get invited to extra skates, coaches allow, you know, players to come on with the older group. Uh, can we be more inclusive to athletes where access to those extra opportunities might be more demanding? Um, and those circumstances tend to show themselves. Um, and, and, you know, my goal is to be the leader that's needed in those, in those circumstances. I just got a couple more questions for you guys, and I thank you guys so much for your time and being a part of Soul on Ice, the podcast. Uh, Jacob, you mentioned your daughter. Um, she's adopted. Uh, where is she from? Where is she originally from? Uh, North Carolina, actually, here, here in North Carolina. Okay, beautiful girl. I saw, I saw a picture of her on, um, on your Instagram, and um, I wanted to ask you, I was very curious about this, because you said it yourself. You didn't adopt a daughter that was black. You just, you know, what? God gave you is what you accepted and you have taken into your family. 
Did you, when, when you realized she was black, uh, at some point, did you and your wife understand that by adopting a black child comes a responsibility of teaching her or giving her access to understanding her history and the issues she may face growing up? Yeah, um, the adoption agency we had gone through, um, they told us a little bit about it and just how certain things of your life were going to have to change. But we didn't necessarily realize at the time how deep that actually goes. Um, and so I'm thankful for my wife because she has been, uh, she really, really dove into it. And uh, a lot of the stuff I've learned, actually, I've learned from her. But the only people she's learning from is actually from uh, whether it's black adoptees or black mothers who are trying to help white adoptive parents raise their black children, and so um, she's been learning from the right white or from the right people as well. Um, but just just how much how important it is to make sure they grow up knowing who who they are or who uh, sorry who she is as as a woman, and our our job as parents is from a wife and I is make sure she knows who she is in Christ, but then. Um, who she is as a strong black woman. And so we, we've definitely, even just with the whole church thing, that's been a, mm. a bit. You a might have to, thing. you might have to switch some churches. You might have to go to an all black church. Exactly. Bro. Yeah, learn exactly. to sing and so, dance, bro. Exactly. <laughs> um, we've gone to actually, we went to one with her, her birth mother. We have a really open relationship with her, which has been awesome. Right. Um, right. And we went back to her home church and it's definitely, it's, it's definitely just a different culture. And so um, making sure we raise her in that. Um, but yeah, we're learning through that and, mm-hmm. and growing through that. But it takes it takes effort because she's a lot of from what we've heard from other black adoptees is that if they're raised by white parents in a white world, they they grow up with such an identity crisis because they yep. don't, they don't stick in with the white people, right? They stand out, and then when they go and hang out with the black community, they don't st- or they don't uh, fit in there either because they don't know how to act black. Mm-hmm. Um, as well, well, as no, I don't think there's an acting black. I think what no, it is yes. is, yes. I think I think what it is is when you know, for a child that's grown up in a white society from an adopted, um, they are looked at as black, and they're going to get into a situation where that is actually called out. And then when they try to go to be around black friends, black friends may look at them and say, "Oh, you're you know, you're whitewashed or something like that." Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the things you have to look up, look, look out for. And I think mm-hmm. that all stands, stems in, again, the people that you guys are around, the things that you're teaching her, the things that you're showing her, the love that you're mm-hmm. showing her through Christ. Again, like I think you're in a perfect situation that you will be able to teach her to be, um, uh, to love herself. And with that, would you consider putting her into hockey? I mean, I, if, if she wants to grow up to play hockey, I would be more than ecstatic to put her in a pair of ice skates. But um, we're, we're going to let her do what she wants to do when it comes to that. But uh, you can bet she runs around with a little hockey stick already. So I'm um, excited to see what she grows up to play. Um, how do you guys compare the efforts of other leagues compared to the NHL when it comes to the game of hockey? I'll let you start, Connor. And then Evander, I want you to weigh in as well. I think our closest uh, relative would be basketball. I think, uh, you know, we share similar seasons, similar length. Um, but basketball, they nail it. There is sort of this, uh, there is this celebration, I think, of the individual where, you know, like Kaner was mentioning, they are more equipped with the permission to be themselves. I think there's, uh, and, and the, the best way I know that is I am not an avid basketball fan, but like 
I know who Steph Curry is. I know who his wife is. I know she's into cooking. I know who his shoe line's with. I know James Harden. I know LeBron James. I know about uh, the school that he's, uh, you know, constructed. Like, the information has a way to uh, getting to even the casual fan in a way that hockey has not um, been successful at. And I think we need to empower the individual to be themselves. We need to leverage uh, the interesting nuances and personalities of our game because people are drawn to, uh, you know, stories and people like them. They, they want to know the ins and outs of people. They don't want the cliche answers that everyone gets, um, you know, in hockey interviews. They want to know, uh, you know, who Connor McDavid is. They want to know who Sidney Crosby is behind. And I'm not saying they have to volunteer if it's not their style. Fine. But for the guys that do care to, um, you know, be a little more vibrant with who they are, there shouldn't be the backlash that there has been. And I think one of the NHL's shining examples is sort of the uh, Pittsburgh-Washington rivalry. You know, you kind of had this Captain Canada, very clean-cut, oriented, you know, looking Sidney Crosby in this very beastly, over-the-top, um, you know, big celebration, Alex Ovechkin, contrasting people, contrasting players. And I know, I remember growing up, like, I couldn't wait to watch those series. Like, I was emotionally invested in a way that um, even other rivalries where it was team versus team uh, weren't as you know, weren't as exciting for me. So I think in terms of hockey, um, we have a long way to go in, in sharing our story. We have great stories to be told about people and players in our game. Um, and there's more, in that, more of that. I mean, look at, uh, I just read it the other day, the Artemi Panarin. There was a Players Tribune article about his upbringing in Russia and how, you know, uh, how he grew up with the game with his grandfather. The respect I have for his development now. I was always a huge Panarin fan. He's a stud in our game. But just what he's gone through to, to reach the superstar that he has, like, it's incredible. Like, we need to share our stories with fans. It'll be better for our game. It'll bring more money to our game. It'll bring more money to our players. It'll be more money to the grassroots level. There'll be more rinks. Um, and I think that is, you know, what we can do better. Uh, and I think that lies in the power of the individual. I, I mean, Connor, uh, he nailed his points. Um, I couldn't agree more with, with what he said. Uh, you talk about, um, you talk about some of the, sorry, my dog just, my wife just got home. My dog's all, all excited. Um, <laughs> It's all good. I got construction guys outside now trying to do work, so we're all good, though. No, no, um, no but, you know, I, I think back to the point of, you know, you, you touched on how he was so excited about the Sidney Crosby rivalry with Ovechkin, right? That's Those are two players, right? You fall in love with players as a kid. Mm-hmm. And whatever, you know, if my play, favorite player growing up was um, Joe Sackett, or Peter Forsberg, for example. So I was a big fan of the Colorado Avalanche. It wasn't because I grew up in Colorado. It wasn't because I love the city of Colorado. It was because I like the freaking players that they have. I, they're my favorite players on that team. That was my favorite team, too. Yeah. And, 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 and if, 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 if Sagik and Forsberg were on uh, the Nashville Predators, well, guess what? The Nashville Predators would have been my favorite team. Right, we, I gotcha. As a, as, a, as, a, as a hockey culture, we're always about what's on the front of the jersey. And that's great. That's, you know, that's understandable. But at the same time, we, ha- we don't give the importance that it deserves for the name on the back and how we promote and sell our game. Like he said, he knows who Steph Curry and James Harden, 
are and, and he knows things about their personal lives, you know, because that information is so easily accessible to promote it. It's, it's used to help promote and showcase him as an athlete. Steph Curry, for example, is an athlete, which if he's more popular, well, guess what? He plays in the NBA. So the league is going to become more popular. The more popular your players are, the better it is for the league. We, and, they're, and, they're good, and they're good teammates as well. For sure. No, for sure. And, 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 and honestly, I mean, that has nothing to do with it in terms of growing the game and the popularity of the sport. But, each, and I make this joke, and this isn't me trying to talk myself up, but I'm telling you right now, if you walk down the street in L.A. with myself and, and Connor McDavid, I don't know who would get recognized more. Mm, interesting. I, I think I might. That's and, and and I'm not I'm not sitting here saying I'm a shrub. That's the last thing I'm saying. You know, I, but don't you think that's ridiculous? That'd be that'd be like that'd be like having uh, uh, Lance Stevenson and LeBron. Not Lance, well, I'm not Lance Stevenson, but just can you imagine Lance Stevenson and LeBron James walking down the street in uh, Montreal, Quebec, and Lance Stevenson getting recognized more than LeBron? Right, right, right. It, there's, it, there's a there's a lot there's a lot to be done. There's a lot to be done. And I think, you know, you guys, I, I mean, the reason why I wanted to do this with the three of you guys, because I've got high respect for where you were. Jacob, uh, I, I really love your story. Connor, you know, again, just meeting you at Y class, I thought you were down. And Evander, you were, you've always been one of my favorite players. And I always thought that, you know, a guy like you could help promote the game of hockey in the black community. And I'd like to see that more. And I will challenge you with that, Evander, as an individual that wherever city you play in, I mean, you're playing in San Jose now, but I'm saying take the time to go into the black community and say, hey, I'm Evander Kane. I look just like you and I play this game of hockey and so can you. Yeah, I mean, that's what I've done um, ever since I've come to the league in Atlanta. You know, oh man! Did did they miss the boat with Atlanta? Huh? Did they miss the boat with Atlanta? I I loved Atlanta. I thought it was great. I think you know you talk about a perfect city to to kickstart off the inclusivity within the black community um, with how diverse a city Atlanta is. My goodness, I, I loved it. I think they, you know, you talk about me entering the league as a, as a top pick in, in in a city like that and having a black player on your team um, for, for what, you know, obviously they're picking for the future. And I mean, talk about missing the boat, not only as a, as a, as an organization, but as a league, um, because, you know, that would have been a great opportunity. But, but again, it goes back to the original point is there wasn't an interest in, in, in this topic um, mm -hmm. 12 years ago. Just the simple fact that little John was trying to keep the team in that city says a lot. And um, yeah, again, it's taken black fans you know i met chris tucker at a basketball game the next oh, wow. time i have him coming to, to, to a thrasher game you know there, there were so many great opportunities that were missed um not necessarily by for lack of effort uh but but i think lack of interest and obviously lack of execution um on everybody's part well i i think you know, just by this conversation that we're having, we all know, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to hold, I want you guys to hold me accountable as a person that makes content for the, the National Hockey League and just the industry of hockey. And I want to 
also be able to hold you guys accountable for um, watching you guys going down the road and and what you're doing. And I've got you guys' email address, so I'll stalk the hell out of you guys right now and and just bug you. But um, I got two more things before we go. Connor, uh, uh, talk to me a bit about your podcast. It's a very interesting take, my friend. And um, I don't want to spoil the plot, but can you, in a nutshell, just let everybody know what your podcast is about and um, you know what you're trying to express? My goal is to help people become uh, more curious competitors in whatever their field is and how to, uh, with the power of you know our guests and sharing a little bit about their story, help people um, feel empowered to curate their own habits and, and their own uh, skill sets through life. And, you know, just to speak about the different cultures, I, I was just watching uh, The Last Dance, everybody was, right, with Jordan, mm-hmm. which also highlights the key of recognizing big moments. So the whole world's sitting at home and the Jordan documentary team recognizes, okay, we got Sunday night open. Let's pump these things out. Let's make sure that we get people to see these. And it was captivating. It was all my friends were talking about for quite some time. But the night, literally the night that I released the podcast, I was that I announced I was doing it, I was nauseous. From like fear of judgment, all I, all I could think about was other players. Who does this kid think he is? Uh, from GMs, coaches, I'm thinking to myself, what if I say something that's inflammatory and I am, you know, blackballed or, or you know, uh, there's, a, there's a cloud cast upon me. And then I'm thinking, I'm watching the last dance and Dennis Robbins in Las Vegas midseason through, you know, for three nights. And I'm thinking to myself, like the difference in culture, the difference in individual personality um, was is so vast. And I'm not saying we need to be completely like them. I'm not saying basketball should, should be more like us. I just think that there are lessons to be learned uh, from what's been well executed on the games uh, side of other sports and on the business side of other sports. And hockey um, has always taken great pride in being set in our ways. And I think it's a time to refresh in that. Uh, so that was the long winded answer of what my podcast is all about, but well, I mean, we're teammates in this and, and just like a great teammate, you know, if I got a friend of mine, uh, in practice, that's having a great skate. He's got the juice that day. I'll let him know. But if there's a teammate, you know, I'm wide open and, and, you know, I felt like they looked me off or, you know, they're not doing their best to, uh, you know, be their best day in day out. I'm going to let that person know. So I expect, uh, you know, the same culture here and, and, you know, we can keep each other honest and growing in the right direction that way. I love it. Jacob, are you a music guy? Not really. Not really. I mean, I, I like music. Yes, I like music. I, I love Christian hip hop. Um, but from the stance of do I have a musical bone in my body? Absolutely not. I mean, in the sense that you listen to music on the way to the rink and all that, right? Yes. Okay. So, bust this. At the end of every Soul on Ice, the podcast, podcast, we like to do this thing called the top five. And so here's the scenario, Jacob. I'm going to give it to you first. You're on your way to the rink. It's game seven, Stanley Cup finals. You've had a hot last couple of games, but this one is going to be tough. What are the five songs you're going to listen to to get yourself pumped up and hyped before the game? I'll give you a second. I'll give you a second. Yeah. Well, um, that's going to be a lot of Lecrae and Andy Mineo. But um, my favorite song by Lecrae is we're going to go with Coming In Hot Okay. Uh, by Lecrae. You Can't Stop Me by Andy Mineo. Um, Superhuman by Andy Mineo. Hmm. 
This is a tough question. It is. It is. It is. This is a really tough question. Um, you just got two more, brother. You got. You. you I know. You I know. Connor's right now. Time. He's thinking about it right now. So. Oh, I'm <laughs> yeah. I think we lost it, Vander. I'm not sure, but it's okay. Tell the world by Lecrae. Okay. And um, and probably Sweet Victory by Tripoli. Okay, I'm gonna have to look up those songs, uh, yep. Connor. Your scenario is different. You're, 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 this is your top five. You're on the way. Uh, you're, you're, you're about to play the Toronto Maple Leafs, my friend. And I know you got a little angst against the Leafs. So what are the top five songs you're going to be listening to to get you jacked up to play against the Leafs? Yeah, I got some demons there ready to slay the dragon. Um, <laughs> we got uh, Gotta Have It, Kanye West. Uh any of the old 50 cent stuff, uh, we'll go with candy shop. Okay. Um, we'll go with whatever the Vegas, I actually found it on SoundCloud where the Vegas gold Knights like pregame warm up. That's on there for sure. That okay. place is bananas when you play there. Yeah. Uh, the white stripes, seven nation army. Love it. And then number five, we'll go with like something dark, like, like some classical music or something before. You know, just to calm the nerves uh, okay. before the match, bring the bring the energy down a little bit before I go to war. I love that. I love that, guys. Thank you very much for your top five. Thank you very much for um, being on the opening episode of Soul and Ice, the podcast, right here on the NHL Family of Podcasts. Uh, I think we lost Evander Kane. I'm not sure what happened with his connection, but it's all good. He held it down. Jacob, you held it down. Connor, you held it down. And um, I appreciate you guys. Jacob, how can um, people find you on social media? Um, Instagram, Twitter, jslavin74. And then, oh, man, I just got on Cameo, too. We're trying that out. And so uh, I think it's just Jacob Slavin on that one. Jacob with two Cs, though. All right. Connor, if anybody wants to reach out to you on social media and listen to your podcast, how can they get you? I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Connor Carrick, C-O-N-N-O-R-C-A-R-R-I-C-K, just my full name. Uh, the Connor Carrick podcast is the podcast. I talk about it a lot on my Instagram. DM me, reach out anytime. I try to uh, touch base with, you know, fans. And, I, you know, I was a fan once, and I know how much it would mean to uh, be able to talk to, you know, a favorite player or someone I looked up to in our game, in our league. Uh, so I try to make myself available there as much as I can. Reach out anytime. Look forward to connecting with whoever feels uh, the urge. It's a great podcast, and um, you guys are, 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 are great people for the game of hockey. So thank you guys so much. Uh, I, I went over time, but, man, I just that's how I get busy. You know what I mean? I can't stop, won't stop. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Good. Thanks for having us. Time well invested, Kwame. Thanks, brother. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Take care of yourselves, and we'll be in touch. Peace, man. Well done. Yeah. Nice. soul on ice cause when they got it we did it twice i guess the poop is in the freezer they tried to get rid of us but they need us so i need you like you need me i need you like you need me we double up when our numbers come through the tv yeah soul on ice i'ma put my soul on ice nice you got damn right i'm screaming on that beat I got a match screaming on the streets. We in the club, stadium, Mandy, your arena cousin. Put me on ice and I'm hitting the top. She's a dozen for 
Tyson Fighting with myself is enticing My enemies in the mirror And he's always reciting The poetry of my power Statistic of my weakness Shadow boxing with Tyson I'm trying to show y'all I'm beating them to the punch Competition on the table Which time for lunch? Though my mission is unstable I'm scoring once, twice, three times And I'm taking hats Men lie, women lie Progress is based upon the facts So let that baby shine They solar showing older They live within the grind Now take them out that stroller Cause coming up is a champ Prediction of Ali He changed his name to Muhammad We changing free to a fee It's up to me uh, And when we make it We gon' put our soul on ice Cause when they doubted us We did it twice I guess the proof is in the freezer They tried to get rid of us But they need us So I need you myself i play against you to bench you i'm throwing all shots to the shelf yeah the top is the topic you checking your armor my wheel telescopic so i'm steering my karma the future is mine like receiving the past from jesus or jordan the cross be stills and nash young uh, and when we make it we gonna put our soul on ice cause when they doubted us we did it twice i guess the proof is in the freezer They tried to get rid of us, but they need us. So I need you, like you need me. I need you, like you need me. We double up when our numbers come through the TV. Soul on ice, I'ma put my soul on ice. Nice.